we've been exploring the last uh, couple of days. We've been exploring metta as uh, a way of relating, a way of looking, a way of relating to experience. Um, I just want to kind of say again something we've said a few times, but uh, I know my own practice just keep needing to be reminded of this and to remember this. You know, metta is so uh, rich, and it also shows itself in so many ways that I would really listen to yourself yeah, in finding um, your way of practicing. Nathan said it this morning. You know, what's the what's the right way of practicing metta for me? Might be in general, and might be at a given time. Yeah, yeah, part of what we're developing in practice is this sense of appropriateness. What's appropriate right now, um, and also the sensitivity and the confidence yeah. in our own inner sense of our way. Yeah, appropriateness for for ourselves. So metta as a way of relating, that's kind of a a thread. Um, I think we're starting to see that when we uh, look with metta, when we intentionally relate with metta, then um, we can see how experience is shaped by that. We had some examples of that in in the question and response this morning. Yeah, it might be kind of having an intention to bring meta to someone or something else, and then it ends up coming back to us uh, in in some form. Yeah, really interesting uh, to see that. Yeah, or we start maybe we start to see things that um, feel quite solid and set, like this is the kind of relationship I have with someone. And then we look through this lens of metta and we see, no, actually that's also changing, that's also conditioned. And so we see, ah, when we look with metta, so much is uncovered, um, but also experience is shaped by that in a certain way, in a certain direction. So we did promise that we would not just stay with metta, but we'd also touch on the other uh, three Brahma Viharas, and so uh, today we're going to start to expand that view, seeing um, how different uh, kind of seeing the other, or at least one other, immeasurable quality as a way of relating. But one way of conceiving the relationship between all four of them um, is uh, is this way. Yeah, going to offer us one paradigm. It's one way of conceiving them. And that is when metta is present, when metta is there as a way of relating, and it meets uh, pain or challenge or suffering, it becomes compassion. So we can say when there's an attitude of friendliness, when there's an attitude of care towards someone or something, and then we meet suffering, we meet pain, we meet difficulty, naturally compassion arises. When metta is present in how we're relating to someone or something, and it meets what is going well, it meets beauty, it meets joy, it meets success, Um, it becomes mudita, it becomes this appreciative, unselfish joy. 
And as metta becomes more and more expansive, yeah, as it grows, as it includes more and more in its field of relationship, then it becomes more and more, uh, you know, this quality that again we touched on this morning in the question and response, becomes more and more a non-enmity, yeah, or a non-ill will, yeah. Mm-hmm. Say so, yeah, just the the absence of enmity, the absence of ill will, uh, which also means, you know, less demand, yeah, and less preference. I need you to be this way so that I will feel friendly towards you. Yeah, there's less of that, which kind of we can say that becomes a form of equanimity. Yeah. Uh, lessening of demands so as meta becomes more subtle, more refined. Yeah, you can see the connection, how it supports equanimity um, to appear. So that's kind of one, you know, can be helpful way, conception of, of the relationship between these four qualities. Um, and today I want to particularly spend time uh, with, um, with compassion. Yeah. So again, remembering the sense of like when goodwill, when friendliness uh, meets pain, suffering, challenge, yeah, discomfort, difficulty, yeah. and naturally compassion arises, uh, or it becomes compassion. Yeah. And just like we've been speaking about, metta is a way of relating. Of course, compassion is also a way. Of relating, yeah, that we're cultivating on the path, yeah, that response to uh, the difficult, the painful, the challenging, yeah, with that care, that kindness, that wish to alleviate or to attend yeah, to any suffering that is there. So we can say, you know, this is that something that we're cultivating on the path. It's it's our path. Um, it's also the goal. Yeah. So um, an uplifted, awake mind is filled with compassion. Yeah. And of course this is true of all the Brahma Viharas, but I think compassion gets an extra oomph there. Yeah? Often spoken of the path, it's often spoken of as a path of compassion and wisdom. Yeah. So this uplifted, awake, free mind and heart uh, are filled with compassion. And I find that compassion, just reflecting on that earlier, just, I don't know, last hour, I thought, ah, oh, you know, in some ways, if we gave, you know, stop someone on the street and we gave them the list of the four Brahma Viharas, compassion is probably the one that would sound the most familiar. <laughs> it's kind of the least obscure, strange word, yeah, loving kindness, unselfish joy, equanimity, that kind of, what are these things? Compassion, we kind of... We've heard of that before, right? And so it's interesting um, to notice that, at least in my mind, and to still actually take time to explore what is compassion? (laughs) What is that? Because the fact that we feel like we know what it is or we might be just familiar with it um, is one thing and it's helpful, but also just to get a sense, what what is it? Yeah, what is it? Um, Or what does it include? And so in the, uh, in the tradition, and this is particularly more in the Mahayana traditions, Tibetan 
uh, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, um, Chinese uh, Buddhism, there's um, a lot of uh, images yeah, of kind of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Yeah? And there's quite a few of them that are connected to compassion. And I just want to stay a little bit uh, with, with a couple of those. Um, so in the Tibetan tradition, the Buddha of compassion, which the Dalai Lama is a manifestation of in the world, uh, is sometimes called um, Avalokiteshvara. Yeah? And that literally means he who gazes down. Yeah? He who gazes down. Yeah? Or he who looks, we can say, at the world. And so we already have a sense of, of you know, a, a really important quality of compassion, which is that of, you know, gazing, looking at, yeah, keeping our eyes open, yeah, staying in contact mm-hmm. with the world. Um, and some of the images, the Avalokiteshvara has got a lot of different um, images, but one really common one is uh, the Avalokiteshvara. I'm going to say they because all these images are not actually very masculine or feminine. Uh, so let's say they. Avalokiteshvara um, has a thousand hands. It's a lot of hands. <laughs> Imagine making a sculpture like that. There's a lot of sculptures of them uh, with a thousand hands. Yeah. And I think that also is another. And in some of them, each hand has an eye. Yeah. So in each of the hands, each of the thousand hands, there's an eye. And so we get again a sense of that, you know, that that being that is gazing out, yeah, gazing down, gazing at the world, yeah, looking at the world uh, with so many eyes, yeah, seeing so much. In some of the of these thousand armed images, uh, they also have um, different tools in their hands, and we'll get to that in a minute. They're holding different things. Um, in in um, Chinese uh, Buddhism, uh, Avalokiteshvara is is definitely a female um, deity, female um, being, and she's called Guanyin. Uh, which means she who hears the sounds of the world. Yeah. So if Avalokiteshvara sees, Kuan Yin hears. Yeah? So again, we have that sense of the connection, the contact. Yeah. Seeing and hearing the world. Yeah? Seeing and hearing the world. Um, and so it's really interesting because these are, you know, they're embodiments of compassion. They're awake beings. Um, and we can see, or we can kind of reflect, seeing and hearing the world with an awake heart and mind is compassion. Yeah? And also compassion supports us in seeing and hearing the world. So it works both ways. Yeah? When we can see and hear the world, all of it, that's compassion. And also when compassion is present, supports us to see and hear. It works in both ways. And that's one kind of thing. It's in bold in my notes <laughs> to make sure I emphasize it. Yeah. Yeah. That sense. And so I just want to pause there and say sometimes that this can feel like whoa, you know. <laughs> 
wow, you know, what, what, what's she saying? You know, what, where are we going? It's a really important here. Compassion includes self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And like our path, any aspect of our path, it's a gradual path. So just like we were speaking with Meta, we go at our own pace. We expand. But there can be, uh, at least for some of us, yeah, something quite inspiring, quite uplifting yeah, in um, just having these images, having this sense of what is possible. Yeah. And it just reminds me, many years ago, um, I, I was already a big fan of the Dalai Lama. <laughs> And uh, I, was, uh, I was at home, it's many years ago, it's before I met Nathan, so it means, like, I don't know, somewhere around the 25 years. Um, I was at my mother's uh, apartment in Jerusalem then, and a friend phoned me up and said, they just said on the radio that the Dalai Lama's in Jerusalem. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, yeah, it's a private visit, because of course the Israeli government wouldn't invite him for an official visit like many other governments. It's a private visit, but they said he's coming to the old city and he's going to be at the Wailing Wall. So I thought, right, I've got nothing to do today. I'm going to go and lurk at the Wailing Wall and see if the Dalai Lama appears. I can't resist this story. There's a point, I promise. (laughs) So I went and lurked at uh, the entrance to the Wailing Wall. And I, uh, as Nathan said, I have this habit of making friends with people. So I made friends with the security people. (laughs) who kind of check everyone as they come in. And I said to them, you know, I heard a rumor the Dalai Lama might be coming today. Do you know anything about it? They said, yeah, he's coming. I said, has he been here yet? No, he hasn't. He's on his way. Eventually he appeared. It was a private visit, so there were only a few people with him. And as luck would have it, I happened to know both his tour guide, (laughs) who was showing him around, and uh, a cameraman that was filming it. I, I have no idea how that happened. I just had good, good fortune. So I could join. And so I spent that morning following the Dalai Lama around as he was visiting uh, the holy sites in Jerusalem. And this is, um, this is the point of the story. As I said, I, already, I was already a fan. So this may not be an objective view. But seeing him walking around there, yeah, just walking around these you know, narrow streets in the old city of Jerusalem and stopping. Yeah? And he wasn't on show. Yeah? He wasn't on an official anything. Yeah? He was just walking around with a few of his students. The way he would stop and speak to just random people yeah, on the street. That was one of the greatest teachings I've ever received. That was compassion in action. Yeah, just being able to see that and just that care, just that kindness, just that seeing and hearing the other. Yeah, in a really simple way. Yeah, in a really simple way. So, you know, sometimes, you know, we can hear this and this can be really inspiring for us and I hope this kind of brings it down to the simplicity. Yeah of our own place in the world and what compassion is this you know yes it has that you know really inspirational quality of these you know buddhas living or or not and it has this very simple care yeah and connection in how we relate to another being yeah how we relate 
to another being, uh, whether we're just passing them in the street, yeah, and whether we have more uh, contact with their story. And so an interesting aspect, this is back to Avalokiteshvara in the thousand hands, and that image of him, not with the eyes, but with the tools. This is a less common image. All the Brahma Viharas, um, they're not detached states. I hope that we can get a sense of that. They're not just about, you know, sitting somewhere detached, yeah? They're actually, uh, they have a thread of engagement in them, yeah? And compassion in particular has got an active element to it, yeah? And that active element is that intention to attend to suffering, to alleviate suffering. Yeah? It's an active component, the intention to alleviate suffering. And so it can be interesting uh, to reflect on this. I'm going to take some time with this uh, to unpack it. There's two different words in Pali that appear in the texts, in the Buddhist text, Pali, the language in which the texts are written. And they are both translated into English as compassion. Okay? This, this can be confusing. And we have enough confusion in our own cultures with this. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. So the first word is anukampa. And it literally uh, means anu is with, yeah, together with. Kampa is to tremble. Now to shake. So it literally means to tremble with. To tremble with. Uh, Often it's translated as the quivering of the heart uh, in response to pain or suffering. That movement of the heart. And and we know that. The other way, we feel feel this, right? There's this resonance, (laughs) this like trembling of our own being when we're open to the suffering, uh, whether it's our own or somebody else's. Uh, this is similar to um, the Latin breakdown of compassion, right? If we take the word compassion and we take the Latin components, uh, it means to feel or to suffer with. Yeah, com is with, passion is to suffer or to feel. Yeah, and so we can see uh, actually this is empathy that we're talking about. Yeah, so in contemporary psychological language, we can refer to anukampa as empathy. Yeah, the capacity to feel what another is feeling, to resonate with another's experience. Yeah? Empathy. Now, of course, that's not limited to pain or suffering, but it often is focused on that. Yeah. Does that make sense so far to people? Yeah. The second word that uh, is uh, translated as compassion from the Pali, and this is the form in the Brahma Viharas, uh, is karuna. And karuna comes from the root uh, ka, K-A, yeah? which is also, for those of you who are familiar with the word karma, it's the same root, action. Yeah. So um, karuna is a compassion that is active and engaged. Yeah? actually has this active, engaged component. Yeah? And very similar to compassion. Yeah? So compassion isn't only empathy, yeah? but it also has that 
kind of natural reaching out. You know, we see someone bump their head or hit their knee, you know, and we feel it, right? There's this reaching out to like, ah, we want to comfort. That's the active um, aspect. And again, in the... Uh, in relationship to compassion, um, as one of the Brahma Viharas, it's that intention to alleviate suffering. So I told you I was a fan of, of the Dalai Lama, and uh, interestingly enough, preparing for this retreat, I found a quote of his, which uh, I, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't been familiar with before. And, uh, and this is what he says. He says, according to Buddhism, compassion is an aspiration, a state of mind, wanting others to be free from suffering. It's not passive. It's not passive. It's not empathy alone. But rather, compassion is an empathetic altruism that actively strives to free others from suffering. There's a lot there. Just repeat that. It's not empathy alone, but rather an empathetic empathetic altruism that actively strives to free others from suffering. Genuine compassion must have both wisdom and metta. That is to say, one must understand the nature of the suffering from which we wish to free others. Yeah, this is the wisdom. Understanding how suffering is constructed and what is the suffering that we wish to free others from and one must experience deep intimacy and empathy with other sentient beings and that is metta. For me it's a really beautiful quote and I could have just read you that and not spent 45 minutes talking but you know as you've seen I like to talk. So That beautiful um, definition, not empathy alone, not passive, an empathetic altruism that actively strives to free others from suffering. Genuine compassion must have both wisdom and metta in it. The wisdom to understand the nature of suffering, how suffering is conditioned, so that we can free ourselves and others from it, and the metta of deep intimacy and empathy with other beings. So uh, the Dalai Lama is really opening up the field here. Yeah? He's pointing to the fact that empathy is not the same as compassion, but it is part of compassion, a really crucial and important part, yeah? like an important aspect. And compassion includes yeah, both metta, yeah, that attitude of care, yeah, friendliness towards others, and empathy, yeah? wishing well for the others and the capacity to feel with them and for them but it also includes wisdom yeah really important the wisdom to understand the causes of suffering how it's conditioned how it's constructed and the capacity to then discern the appropriate response yeah it's a big part of the wisdom yeah because that movement you know of wishing to alleviate suffering yeah that can be really strong in us it needs to be married with wisdom yeah, for it to actually do the work. Yeah, Nathan mentioned this morning this um, uh, phrase also from a Tibetan teacher, idiot compassion. 
I always think of it in in response to you know if you're uh, if you're with a child that's already had too many sweets and they're really crying because they want more sweets, yeah. Aged compassion is giving them more sweets, <laughs> yeah. But wise compassion is to see, okay, what well, are uh, you know what are the causes of this suffering, and also how to alleviate it. And actually, giving more sweets is not going to help, right? It's not going to address what's going on. It's actually going to make it worse. Yeah. So we can start to see, you know, the, the the beauty of this quality, yeah, and its intricacy and its depth. Yeah, includes the empathy, includes the meta, and includes the wisdom to understand the causes of suffering and also to discern, yeah, appropriate responses. And that's why the emphasis on the intention is so crucial here, <laughs> because we might not always be able to get all of that. Yeah, this is a lot. Yeah, it's quite deep stuff. Yeah, understanding what's going on, what are the causes, what would be the appropriate response. But we can come back to that intention to alleviate, and that can be a great um, guiding light for us, like a lighthouse for our actions and support us in actually deepening uh, understanding. So along with this idiot compassion, it's not a very nice phrase, but it's funny, (laughs) we can also kind of um, see the... the, uh, kind of uh, sometimes the confusion between compassion and pity, yeah? So we have compassion, which is this movement, yeah, to alleviate suffering. And we have what the tradition is called its near enemy. It can look the same, but actually it isn't, yeah? And that's the sense of pity when we feel sorry for someone, yeah? But in that feeling sorry, we're actually, um, we're actually not empathetic, <laughs> There's a sense of distancing ourselves, yeah, distancing ourselves, and um, sometimes even like, yeah, the distancing is that way. You know, I'm up here, yeah, and I know what's good for you, and you're over there, and you don't know, and I'm going to decide for you, or whatever it is, yeah. And um, and so the, 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 we can, on a felt sense, we can get familiar with the, with the difference between these two uh, ways of relating. Yeah, that there'll be this distancing, there'll be a movement of rejection and separation. Uh, there'll be a shutting down. Actually, often pity comes, and we're actually tr- protecting ourselves. Yeah, from feeling. Yeah, from actually feeling their distress. Um, it's a movement of looking away, of getting away. Uh, for me, often the the strongest example of this that comes to my mind is often around, um, at least here in Britain, there's often homeless people, uh, especially around train stations uh, and, and bus station places where there's transport. And that's often where I see this, you know, the, the people who just walk by or, you know, just drop money in without looking. Yeah, that kind of, and often, I mean, it's it's a, it's just the way it looks. I'm not saying that I know what's going on for the person internally, but I know for myself that's how it would look. Yeah, just put giving money without engaging, without looking, without taking in, and and literally, you know, I I know for myself what it feels like energetically in the body, the difference between facing someone and something, yeah, looking at them, and looking away. 
yeah, trying to, to just kind of get rid of that discomfort that uh, can often be there around what's painful or distressing. So I had a, an interesting example of this recently that I just want to unpack a little bit. Um, uh, we were in London with, uh, with two of my brother's kids uh, for a week uh, holiday. <laughs> and uh, it's just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're not really kids. I'm, it's not so nice that I call them that. They're 15 and 19 years old, so they're really quite, quite complete human beings. Um, but uh, they're, not from, they're not from England, so uh, they're not so familiar with this kind of scenario. And um, one time I was with them in a, in walking through a train station in London, and uh, there was a woman crying, yeah, sitting and crying. Um, and so I approached her, and uh, I, I said, you know, can I help? And she told me, you know, uh, st- her story of um, not having money to, to, to get home. Um, and she needed uh, less than five pounds for the ticket. It was very interesting to have all of this with my niece and nephew there, like witnessing. Very, it's, it's interesting, an interesting experience. Um, and, you know, in that situation, you know, it's like I offered to buy her the train ticket. And then she said, no, it's not from this station. I need to get to another station. And there's a lot of stories in the UK, again, don't know what it is like in other countries, but there's a lot of, of stories about this, you know, scams and cheating and it's not real and don't give them money and give the money to a charity and all of that, yeah. There's a lot of, of, a lot of stuff there which has, you know, it's not like completely irrelevant, but in that moment, there's my choice, yeah. Do I walk away and potentially leave someone in distress? Or do I gamble <laughs> five pounds, yeah, on potentially helping, yeah, and that's that's my choice. And in that moment, you know, for me, the choice is clear, yeah. And I, you know, carried on speaking to her, and I said, you know, here's here's the money, and gave it to her, and we walked away. And I have a practice when I do this. I don't look back, yeah. It's, it's a practice, yeah. I don't look back. I'm not checking on the person, I'm not checking on what they do. My nephew, uh, he looked back and he said, she's walking away. You'd hear his voice, he said, oh, she's walking away. Yeah. She's heading out towards the exit. Um, and then we had a really interesting conversation about this whole uh, thing. And I said to them, you know, I just said to them, you know, in these moments, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the person's situation is. I don't know if they're telling me the truth or not. Yeah. But I feel like at the end of the day, it's a question of my own inner stance and what do I choose? Yeah? Do I choose compassion and generosity? Yeah. If I have no um, evidence one way or the other, what do I choose? And that's my take. And we, we just talked about it very openly. And I think the important thing with this kind of experience, this kind of story it's not what we do, it's how we engage. Because yeah? another time I might choose to do something else. I'm not saying that's always the right way. Yeah? That's always the right thing. You should always do this, or I should always do this. But it's about engaging yeah, when we can. It's about meeting the person, first of all, on a human level. And whatever her situation was, I don't think the kindness 
is is um, is ever wasted. Yeah, is ever wasted. And so we have this, yeah, have this invitation in our lives, in our practice, to explore this. This is an area of practice. It's a way of relating. We include ourselves. We include others. Um, as we engage. Another really interesting aspect of compassion is its relationship to overwhelm. Yeah, and again, if we talk about you know, the near enemy of the, of, of the detachment, the pity, the trying to do something to help so that I can not think about it or not look at it anymore. Um, we have a real fear around pain, around difficulty, around suffering, that we will get overwhelmed. And there's even a, a term now, I don't know if you're, if you're uh, connected to the, you know, the health um, and mental health worlds or the activism worlds or the aid worlds, you may have heard this term, compassion fatigue. Yeah. It's actually a term that was coined, you know, that you can be so compassionate that you get overwhelmed. Yeah. And I was, and I want to emphasize here the place of wisdom. This is where wisdom again comes in. Yeah. The wisdom to understand that um, if we include ourselves, yeah, if we include self-compassion in the cycle, yeah, then there is there is no compassion fatigue. There's actually empathy fatigue, and now kind of psychologists are getting more precise around that. There's empathy fatigue, where there's just the feeling with the other becomes too much. But if we have enough wisdom in the balance uh, with compassion, uh, that is less less likely to happen. Um, Because with wisdom, uh, we can see we are also part of the network of life that we wish to support. We're part of it. And if we want to alleviate the suffering of others, uh, we have to include self-care. We have to attend to ourselves. Yeah, it's part of one network. We yeah, so have to include it. And a really interesting thing is that the more we explore compassion, um, we see that actually in its essence, it's actually empowering and nourishing. Yeah? Rather than depleting. This is why, you know, this thing of there's no compassion fatigue. Because if it's actually compassion... It strengthens us. It's a strength. It's a power. Yeah? And it's nourishing to us. Yeah? And again, to remember, this is an arena of practice. Yeah? It's something we explore. It's not like we figure it out and we know how to do it and that's it. Yeah, We learn how to do it. Yeah? And we learn where to send it and we learn when to kind of take a step back and nourish ourselves as part of that movement of compassion. And so this is true of all the Brahma Viharas, yeah? They're freeing ways of relating, and so they nourish well-being. Yeah? And this can feel counterintuitive when it comes to opening to suffering. It really, it really can. And if, if that's what's coming up for you right now, you're kind of saying, but how? <laughs> how can opening to suffering be nourishing? Yeah? How is that possible? How can it not be overwhelming? Listen to that question. Listen to that question and explore it for yourself. But sometimes, someone just said it in a discussion I was in a few days ago, actually the energy of keeping ourselves shut off and closed off 
that is much more draining than opening to. We don't notice how much energy there is in shutting ourselves off and keeping ourselves apart from the, the suffering, the difficulty. So there's another uh, quote from the Dalai Lama. This is one I've used a lot. (laughs) I told you he was going to star in this talk. Uh, And he says, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. And if you want to be happy, practice compassion. Again, going right to it. It's interesting, isn't it? If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. I think that's something um, that is more obvious to us. <laughs> but if you want to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. That's really interesting. So what's he talking about? What's he talking about? One thing he's talking about is really that letting go of the barriers that we build Yeah, when we want to keep ourselves safe, yeah, from, and we take up quite a lot of energy, and actually that energy uh, closes off our heart also to joy, and we'll talk about this more over the days, the relationship between compassion and joy, Um, but also when we open, yeah, when we bring in compassion as an intention, there's actually an Increasing agency and, and, and empowerment, and something feels more true, yeah, and more real for us. So coming close to something, and this is very counterintuitive, can feel better than keeping our distance, yeah, and staying away. And I want to give a couple of examples of this. Uh, one is. Um, uh, from last year, from the olive harvest in Palestine, uh, Nathan and I bring groups um, of internationals and Israelis to support Palestinian farmers uh, in Palestine. And uh, the, the last couple of years, we've only been able to, to bring Israelis because of the pandemic. It's difficult to, for internationals to, to get in uh, to Israel, which you have to do in order to get to Palestine. Um, and something someone said last year, uh, one of the Israeli participants, and she said, um, I feel the sanest I have felt in a really long time. <laughs> yeah. After a couple of days of being in Palestine, seeing and hearing, yeah, back to Avodikashvara and Kuan Yin, seeing and hearing yeah, the suffering. Yeah. Seeing and hearing. And I said, I feel the, the sanest I've felt in a really long time. Why? Because part of us knows this is going on. Yeah, we know there's suffering in the world. <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, and when we build up walls against it, we're like one of my teachers used to say, "We're doing this. We're contorting ourselves, not to see," and that is painful. Yeah, that is painful. So there's something sane. There's a type of well-being in the relaxing into into the seeing. Yeah, we also know that for ourselves. Yeah, might be struggling against. Uh, some emotional difficulty, yeah, or some difficult situation in our lives. And when we can, when we have the resources, when we have the support, when we have the possibility to say, it's like this right now, yeah, and to actually turn towards it with compassion. Yeah? And sometimes that can be 
quite freeing. Open up um, some resources. Another example I want to give is um, from my own experience, and this is from uh, the retreats in the leprosy community that we used to have up until the pandemic in India. Um, We used to go every year uh, since 2005, I think, and have a work retreat in a leprosy community. And part of what we would do is offer massage um, to the elderly. So there's a place there for the elderly people in the community and we'd go in and brush their hair and massage and cut nails, like do really basic things of care. Um, And this is one of the first uh, years I was doing this. And there was this one woman, her name was Jana. It's an interesting name. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and she was really demanding. <laughs> you know, would be massaging someone and she would come and be like, show me her wrists, you know, what she'd want to massage here. Uh, and I'd go like that and, and or, or kind of a little bit shout <laughs> in the background. Uh, in Marathi, in the local language, and you know the interpretation in my head would be like be like me 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 me, you know, and um, my reaction was a closed heart, you know, a shutting down, and literally this movement. This is part of why I know it so well. Is like, you know, not now or later, and and you know, I would just put her at the end of the queue, yeah, in my mind, yeah, she would just go right to the end of the queue. Um, And I realized um, after some time that because I was perceiving her a certain way, yeah, and because her, you know, her suffering was acute, she was really in pain, and and, and therefore she was louder than some of the other ones, I was not looking at her suffering, I was just seeing the loud demand, yeah, that was easier for me, seemingly on one level. Um, but, and even when I was massaging her, it would be like this. I wouldn't actually be giving her my attention. Yeah, I wouldn't actually be giving her my attention. I, and I could start to notice that um, and feel the painfulness of that in myself. Yeah? And so the first step was to bring self-compassion in, to actually be able to hold that experience of the turning away, the closed heart. Yeah? should be able to hold that and to attend um, with that gradually, gradually. And then gradually also, you know, that allowed me to open uh, to her suffering and to see beyond this one aspect of her personality. <laughs> yeah. And I remember this gradual build-up and gradually kind of, you know, not being so reactive, not being so shut down, yeah. But the really important, two really important things from this story. One is feeling the dukkha, feeling the suffering in the closed heart that doesn't want to meet someone. Yeah, That was one really important aspect. And the other, the fact that it's a gradual path. That even when I saw that, I couldn't just flick the switch. Yeah, I had to bring self-compassion to soften and allow myself to open there to her. So gradual build-up. And then I remember one day coming with the intention, saying to myself, today, yeah, I'm just going to give her all the time she needs. Yeah? There's only her. There's nobody else. Yeah? 
Today I'm fully with her. Whatever she wants forever long. Just with her. No one else. 100%. And it was really that shift from this to fully being with her. Fully giving myself to her. All the time you need. And, you know, all of this is happening just internally because there's no shared language. (laughs) I can't even say it, even if I want to. And the interesting thing was, that's one of the big teachings, the interesting thing was that she, I feel, she could pick up on that. And that full giving of the attention was what she wanted. So actually, I didn't massage her longer (laughs) than the other times, yeah? Because around the same amount of time, she said to me, or motioned to me, yeah, half in words, half in sign language, gave me the message, it's enough now, go and help the others. Yeah? It's enough now, go and help the others. And I was like, in my, no, 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 I was, I was going to spend the whole, the whole day with you, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah? But no, yeah, when I fully turned, yeah, fully turned to her, it's fully there. Whatever you want, I'm here with you. Something could relax. And our relationship really changed. Relationship really changed um, after that. So maybe we can start to see this um, wisdom and compassion thread and how it includes also um, all the other Brahma Viharas. They're all there to support us the wholesomeness of the whole Brahma Vihara family. Um, this kind of ongoing exploration with compassion to find the middle way yeah, between overwhelm and detachment. Yeah? And all the Brahma Viharas help us there. Yeah? Self-compassion, other compassion, yeah? finding that balance. Yeah? Opening to, turning towards, yeah? Knowing that we cannot attend to everything, yeah, all the time. This is a big one. This is equanimity, yeah, coming in as such an important support to compassion, yeah. The capacity to appreciate, yeah, the good, yeah, to appreciate the good in ourselves and in what's around us, to have gratitude, yeah, to enjoy, yeah. I said the relationship between. Mudita and Karina, yeah, unselfish joy and compassion, really important. They so support each other. Yeah, the more we open our heart to suffering, the more we can open to joy, and the other way around, because it's the same heart. Yeah, that feels both. Yeah, they're not different, and they support each other. The balance, the stability, the steadiness that equanimity offers us in a world that is challenging, in a world that is world that is shaking. The attitude of metta, of goodwill, of kindness, that's holding it all. So compassion, we can say, is is an ongoing journey, just like any of the other Brahma Viharas. And the same thing, you know, the same exploration that I've shared with Janabai, we also, yeah, that's the same thing that we do with our own distress, (laughs) Disease, pain in the body, discomfort. It's the same thing. Yeah, because here too, our habit, our tendency is to not look, not give it attention, want it to go away. Yeah, leave me alone. Yeah. But it's calling our attention. So, can we also 
yeah, slowly, gradually, in our own way, meet our edges, meet the way the places we're contracted with interest and kindness and with compassion. And as we do that, yeah, we're nourishing that capacity in ourselves. Yeah, we're nourishing that capacity in the world. Yeah. Nourishing that capacity um, in the world. So an ongoing journey yeah, of this intention to attend to suffering and to alleviate suffering. And when we say alleviate suffering, just to maybe close with that, doesn't necessarily mean take it away completely. <laughs> but we know from our own experience, when we're going through a hard time and someone listens to us, yeah, that's enough. Yeah? So much of the time, yeah, to know that we're not alone, yeah? to have that compassionate care and attention. Yeah? So we have this intention, and that intention is a support um, for us and it's an exploration and it's a practice and we're open to this um, as a practice over the, the next day so let's have a, a moment of quiet together to bring this to a close We continue to nourish compassion in our heart and minds towards ourselves and towards each other. May the world we share grow in compassion, grow in wisdom until all beings live with ease, free from suffering and its causes. So thank you for your listening, your practice, your presence, and uh, have some time for more practice or for nourishing the body for those at the center. And we will meet again here later. So go well until then. <laughs>